All right, Rabbi good morning. Let us begin. Baruch Hashem, a beautiful daf on a beautiful morning for us to enjoy. So we'll say, so let's begin by, I'm sorry, make sure everything's up here. Begin by thanking our sponsors. So thank our Torah sponsors for the month of Shvat. Mrs. Bracha Strimber for dedicating all the Shimon Drushos this month. In loving memory of her husband, Avi Strimber, Avram Ben Kamen Eliezer Halevi, to thank Avi Tobias for dedicating all the Shiurim and Drushos this month in appreciation for the Shir and for the beauty of the Daf. And we thank our Daf Yomi sponsors today, a very special sponsorship. Thank you to David Greenspoon of Karnev Shomron in Eretz Yisrael in honor of the birthday and Bar Mitzvah Shabbos of Sammy Esterson. Incredible. And with thanks for 50 years. Wow. Wow. 39. Sorry. 50 years of friendship and for telling me about the Dafyomi. Wow. Beautiful. First of all, always, always special to have a sponsorship. Here's the beauty of the Daf. If you look at this again today, just today, sponsorship, Mrs. Strimmers in Baltimore, Avi Tobias is in New Jersey. David Greenswin, Eretz Yisrael. You know how, how beautiful it is. This, this, is the, this is the beauty of learning the daf. This is the beauty in general of learning Torah, but especially the daf is what else brings so many people from so many different parts of the world together if not the Ribbono Shel Olam's Torah. That we, don't, we, don't, sometimes we don't realize it, that when we learn, we're actually doing our part in fostering the bonds of Achdos and Klal Yisrael as well. So really, really beautiful. And Sammy, happy birthday. Happy birthday, may I have some shalom tovos. Well, so with that, let us begin. Beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today. Today's daf is Chavav 26. We are picking up on Chavhem and Beis 25b. And we are picking up at the two dots. Berkas Konim Nikrin Velomitargimin. That's where it's a 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16 lines up from the bottom. So remember again, the Mishnah said, You could read, but you don't translate it. My time, I said, this is incredible. Because remember again, one of the Psukim is, which literally means Hashem will lift his countenance towards you. So I will say, what's wrong with Yisa? This is absolutely incredible. Rashi explains, the Lashon of Yisa makes it sound like God is giving us favoritism. Look at Rashi just a moment. This is beautiful. The Lashon of Yisa sounds like undeserved favoritism. Undeserved favoritism. When in fact, the Gemara says, Klal Yisrael deserves the brachas of the Ribbana Shalom. Isn't that incredible? So you don't, I mean, you don't want people to think that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is just giving us something for free. Don't want people to think that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, oh, he's giving us favoritism, so he's giving us bracha. No, Klal Yisrael deserves and has earned the bracha of Klal Yisrael. Therefore, again, so you begin to see anything that could be misleading or misunderstood. We simply don't, we simply don't go ahead and translate. Also, you also see an incredible theme in this. You know, in general, in life, you want to earn the things you get and not to rely on people's or HaKadosh Baruch Hu's generosity for that matter. Be deserving of brachas in life and don't go ahead and rely on HaKadosh Baruch Hu or your fellow man's generosity. So the story of David and Amnon is not read, nor is it translated. Also, we said in yesterday's daf that the story of Amnon and Tamar is translated. Lokasha, Amnon Amnon Stama. 
Rebosa, we read the story of when Amnon, when Amnon rapes his half-sister Tamar, because David HaMelech's name is not mentioned in conjunction with that story. But with the part of the story where David HaMelech's name is mentioned, we do not go ahead and translate that, read or translate that part of the story out of covered to David HaMelech. Tan Rabbanon, Rebosa, this is fascinating. Sometimes the Torah uses very abrasive Lashon. Very abrasive Lashon. When the Torah uses a more abrasive Lashon, we sometimes change that, or we would change it. We have a Mesorah. In other words, the Mesorah is that we change that into a less abrasive word. Not change it in the, in the writing of the scroll. We'll see examples of this, but rather, again, in the way we read it. For example, for example, the Gemara says, Kigon Yishkalena Yishkavena. So we'll say, for example, in the Tochacha. So the Torah says, Isha Ta'aris Right, right, it says Yishkalena. Right, it says literally again, the, the Torah says that you talking about the Tocha, the curses, you will betroth the woman and another man, and another man will take her. Yishkalena is a stronger Lashon, so we change that to Yishkavena. Papolim, Patchorim, Charyonim, Divyonim. So we'll say, so again, these are Papolim, Patchorim, once again, the Tocha, talking about the afflictions that we will suffer. So again, instead of using Lashon of Bapolim, Rashi says over here, is Lashon of It's actually talking about hemorrhoids, but one is a bit more explicit about where the hemorrhoids are, and one is a bit more nuanced. Charyonim divyonim. So we'll say over here, this is talking about, in the Sefer Molochim, when talking about the great famine that took place in Yerushalayim, and speaking about the fact that people were eating literally the droppings of birds. So charyonim divyonim. Charyonim is a stronger lotion, divyonim is a softer one. Lechol es choreim velishtos esmeimi shinehem. Lechol sabasam velishtos esmeimi raglehem. Okay, so we'll say, so once again, when describing famine and the fact that people were forced to consume their waste. So the Torah just said, we just change it to a softer lotion. Lemachraos lemotsaos. Fine. Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha Omer, Lemachraos Kishman. No, that last one, Rabbi which is, Vayistuas Matzvas Habal, Vayistuas Beis Habal, Vayistuas Lemotsaos Adayamazah. So we'll say, that, that last Pasik is actually talking about the, the Avodazara of Baal. So the idea over here, the Pasik says, so the Pasik that, that was just, Vayistuas they destroyed the Baal. And they made the Baal ultimately again like into an outhouse. And I've also now the Lashon of Lemachraos literally means like a place where people defecated. So we read it as Lemotsaos, a place where people relieve themselves. It's just a softer Lashon to which the Imam Rubin Karakha says, no, 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 that's actually one we don't change. Why don't we change that? Lemachraos Kishman, Mepeshu Ginai, Laavodas Kochavim. Ultimately, again, I will say because that passage is actually talking about idolatry. And when it comes to idolatry, we have no problem using very disparaging Lashon. So therefore, we keep it. So I will say, based on that, listen to this. I'm Rav Nachman. Call it Sinusasira. In general, I will say Leitzanus. Right? Leitzanus. Speaking, right? Acting or speaking in a mocking fashion. That's a better word for Leitzanus. Not mocking. Leitzanus. Um... Mocking, yeah, mocking, mocking. Okay, but Leitzanus means like, like, like 
Right, because you could be disparaging, but that's not, Leitzonis is like disparaging in a mocking fashion. Oh, right, to, 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 or, or to mock in a dis, no, disparage in a mocking fashion. So in general, Leitzonis is Aser. Very important to know. Leitzonis is Aser, says the Gemara. With the exception of the Leitzonis when it comes to idolatry. When it comes to idolatry, you are permitted to go ahead and speak and act in a disparagingly mocking fashion, or a mockingly disparaging fashion. So the Gemara gives an example of this. The Navi itself, when describing idolatry, describes idolatry as um, something that's unable to hold its bowels. Right, that it that it's it's defecating out of control, right? Like an incontinence, like a theological incontinence. So the fact that the Navi describes it that way is to purposely be disparaging towards Avodazara. Rabbi Yana Aramehacha, La Eglos Base On Yaguru, Shachin Shomron, Ki Evel Alavimo, Bekamarov, Alav Yagilu Al Kavodo, Kigalamimenu. Al Tikri Kavodo, don't read Kivodo, which means honor, honor Ella Kivedo. Once again, I will say it's interesting that all of these Psukim are highlighting a, like a, almost like a, an incontinence by Avodazara. So you see from here that the Navi itself is speaking in a disparaging way about Avodazara. So therefore, even though normally late Sonus is Aser, when it comes to Avodazara, it's Mutter. The Bosa is actually pretty amazing. A Jew is permitted to say to an idolater, Shakle la avodas kochavim, take your avodas kochavim, va anche bishin tov shalom. Take your idolatry and put it in your shin tov. Now I will say, it actually means exactly what it sounds like. Hey, so I will say, the Masha says, shin tov, yep, that's, that's, take your avodas and put it in your shin tov. So the Gemara says, Amravashi, hi, so I will say, I just, I just want to point out over here, what does this mean, right? You know, we're so makbid about how we talk. And again, the Gemara itself just said, by the way, Leitzonis is Aser. You're not allowed to speak in a mocking fashion, but you could tell, you could tell an Ovid Avodazara, why do I feel like this is going to become a widely used phrase, right? Yeah. Though, right? right? So, so you could, right, you could tell it. <laughs> and you can go ahead and tell an Ovid Avodazara, take your Avodazara, put it in your shin tub. It will say, Chazal are trying to highlight something very important over here, which is, and by the way, Rashi points out what's Shin Tov. So first of all, Rashi says, Lashon v'chashufi shas ervas mitzrayim. Okay, so the Marashah says a bit more explicit. The idea is to put it in a place of nakedness. That's what it is. So the, the idea, the, the, so, so what, what is the Gemara trying to highlight over here? So I think what Chazal are trying to tell us is the following. See, I will say, and this is so important in, in like the times in which we live, like societally, we live in a time of like moral equivalency, right? Everyone is right. Everyone is right. There's no such thing as an ideology, as a preference. There's nothing, there's no such thing that's not right. Everything, if you feel it or you want it, then no one has any right to judge it. Right? And, every, and both say, I want to point out, there is a concept, absolutely, of just accepting people for who they are. And absolutely, you know, part of what we have to do as a nation and part of what we have to do as a community of mankind is to accept people who they are. But there is a way to accept a person, but you don't have to accept every ideology. And you don't have to accept every single, you know, concept that society advances. And you don't have to accept certain things as being correct when you know that unequivocally, 
they're wrong. They're absolutely wrong. And Chazal are coming to highlight this for us. And they're saying, there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. And there's not the moral equivalency. And just because someone goes out and worships this, or says this, or espouses this, or identifies this, we'll say, doesn't make it right. In order for the world and society to be a just society, there has to be clear, clear demarcations of what's right and what's wrong? This is just what we learned in Mishnah Yomi. We say, Havdallah and Chonin Adas, because the most important thing in life, Ata Chonin La Adam Das, Hamavdil Ben Kodesh Lechol. What's Kodesh? What's Chol? What's right? What's wrong? What's Kasher? What's Treif? What's Tame? What's Tar? And if you can't draw those lines, if you can't draw those lines, then first of all, then society, community crumbles. So Chazal say, Leitzanas is Asr, but you could do Leitzanas by Abod because by Avodah Zarah, by idolatry, it's our obligation to absolutely, unequivocally, and wholesale repudiate and reject. Because if you equivocate at all, and you put it somehow on a pedestal of being alternate or being right, then that's the beginning of the end. And sometimes the only way to draw that line is the active repudiation even comes with a little bit of late sanas. Such an incredible yisod. So the Gemara says, so again, to always be accepting of every individual, but to reject the isms and the theologies and the ideologies that are absolutely unequivocally wrong. So the Gemara goes weiter. So the Gemara says, Amrav Huna Barmanoach Mushved Rav Achabred Rav Ika. Surely, good, fine. So the Gemara says, Amrav Ashi Hayman de Sani Shamane. Someone will say about who. Now, Sani Shamane means. People say bad things about him. People, Rashi says, Shiyotzos alav Shmuos Raos Usnuoshu Noiv. So Rashi says, if there's a person about whom rumors are circulating that such a person is an immoral individual. And I both say, when the Lord speaks about rumors over here, you know, again, in, even in halacha, there are different kinds of rumors, right? There are rumors that we know to be MS. And there are rumors that we're not sure if they're MS. They're talking about over here where there's enough of a shmua, there's enough of a quote-unquote rumor mill that, that something is going on, right, with this individual. So if you know someone's very immoral, so the Gemara says, Shari levazuye bigimel v'shin. You can go ahead and embarrass him with gimel shin. What's gimel shin? Rashi says, bar girta zona shma. Shma sarya shin musrach kachobuchuos. In other words, you can tell him he's the son of a zona. Right? He's the son of a harlot. In other words, I will say, so again, that's an exact quote, but you understand the Gimel, the Shin, by the way, Rashi says, is Shatya Shatya. He's a fool. In other words, I will say, when you see, what, 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 again, once again, what is, the Gemara, what is the Gemara highlighting over here? What does it mean that when someone goes ahead and they're acting in an immoral fashion, you could call him the son of a zona, or you could call him a fool? I will say, the idea is that it's okay to out people who are doing something wrong. And it's important to out people who are doing something wrong. Because you'll say, you know what happens societally. We as a community, I mean, as a community of colleagues, I've learned this lesson too many times. When someone is doing something wrong and they're not outed, people take the silence as acquiescence. Or the silence ultimately again as, oh, I guess what this person is doing is not so bad. Or I guess what this person is doing is okay. So the Gemara is saying when you see someone that's doing something wrong, you have to out the wrong. You have to out the wrong. It's the same you sowed. You can't accept things that are wrong from idolatry and from within our people as well. We have to learn to take a stand ultimately again to, take, to, to out 
that which grows like a cancer within society. And again, I will say, there's always this incredibly fine line. To be very clear, this doesn't mean that we rally against people who are doing the wrong. A, remember, Chazal is speaking over here about immorality. Immorality is like a cancer with grow, which grows within Klal Yisrael. So you have to be able to take a stand against those kind of things. Again, we have to learn to coexist with everyone, love everyone, and accept everyone. But at the same time, we have to learn to repudiate and stand up against that which is wrong. And that which undermines the very core and kedusha of our people. Vigimars, let's finish up. Haiman the Shaper Shamane. On the flip side, someone again about whom good things are being said. Shari Shabuchai. You can praise him. You can praise him. Uman the Shabchai. And a person who praises someone who's living a good life, doing the right thing. Should have brachos rest on his head. I will say it's interesting that the Gemara says that you should go ahead. It's okay, right? It's okay to praise someone who's doing the right thing. So I will say, so why would you think that it's not okay to, to, do, to praise someone? So I will say, maybe you would think again, maybe you have to be concerned with gaiva. Maybe we shouldn't praise anyone unless people get inflated egos. No, it's just like it's good to out the bad. It's also good to praise the good. And I will say, I'll tell you also what it also, Chazal also telling us is, give compliments. Give compliments. You see someone doing something good. Your spouse works hard. Make sure to say thank you. Your kids are working hard. Make sure to say thank you. Your friend brings you a cup of coffee. Make sure to say thank you. Give compliments. Shari It's good to go ahead and give people compliments. Give people praise. When you know they're trying to do the right thing. This is really fascinating. If the, if the members of a city sell a street. Sell a street. So we'll say here what you have happening over here is the, the members of a city are selling a street of the city. So what can you do with the proceeds? You could use the proceeds to buy a shul. To buy a shul. If you sold the shul, you could use the proceeds to buy an aron, to buy an ark. Teva, you sold an ark. You could go ahead and use the proceeds. I will say, mapechos is like the cover of a Sefer Torah. Right? Cover of a Sefer Torah. Mapechos, if you sold covers, type of chavav. You could buy scrolls. Svarim. Now, in this context, by the way, scrolls means, Rashi says, scrolls of, of Nevi'im and Ksuvim. Svarim, if you sold scrolls of Nevi'im and Ksuvim, Lokin Torah, you could buy a Sefer Torah. So, I will say, so again, the idea over here, as we'll see in the Mishnah, that when you go ahead and sell a Dover Shebek Dusha, you sell an item that has sanctity, the proceeds can only be used to buy something of greater sanctity. Greater sanctity, that's the idea. So, that, that's the progression in the Mishnah. So, the Aval, Emachru Torah, but if you sold the Sefer Torah, Lo Yichusvarim, you can't buy scrolls of Nevim and Ksuvim. Svarim, if you sold scrolls of Nevim and Ksuvim, Lo Yichumatechos, you cannot go ahead and use the proceeds to buy covers for the scrolls. Matechos, if you sold the covers, Lo Yichuteva, you should not buy an ark. Teva, if you sold an ark, lo yichu beisakneses, you shouldn't buy a shul. And beisakneses, if you sold the shul, lo yichu esarachov, you should not buy a street. So again, we'll see why the Mishnah felt the need to illustrate this in the reverse order, right? So that, again, very simple, I will say, you sell a street, you sell a street, by the way, we'll see, the street has kedusha. why Rashi pointed out over here, because this goes back to Masechus Tainus, because during fast days, they would daven in the main thoroughfare. So therefore, you sell a street, you could buy a shul, higher kedusha. You sell a shul, you could buy an aron, higher kedusha. You sell a, you sell, you sell a shul, you could buy an ark, 
higher kedusha. You sell an ark, you could buy Torah coverings, higher kedusha. You sell the coverings, you could buy Nevi'im, higher kedusha. You sell Nevi'im, you could buy a Sefer Torah, higher kedusha. And I was saying that's kind of that's kind of where it ends. Then the Mishnah just illustrates the whole thing in reverse order as well. And the Mishnah ends off by saying v'chim mosreyen. So I was saying this is very important. V'chim mosreyen means. The same halacha applies with any leftover money. In other words, let's say for imagine, just keep the simplest case, you sold, you sold the street. So what can you do with the proceeds if you sold the street? What can you do with them? Buy a shul. So let's say I sold the street for a million dollars and Baruch Hashem, the shul came in under budget. Halavai, halavai. Right? The shul came in. I'm looking at you, Menachem. Don't avoid eye contact with me. Don't avoid eye contact, right? So going ahead, I go ahead and I sell, I sell, the, I sell the, <coughs> the street. I buy a shul and I save $100,000 on the shul. So I will say, so you might have thought that maybe that leftover money, you could do whatever you want with it. No, the Mosrein means all of the funds generated from the sale of the street are all regulated by the same halachos. Even if you have leftover money, you bought the shul, that's it, that money still has still has the same residual kedusha. And I will say, look at, just look at the top Rashi. Now, Lokin Svarim, Rashi says, we're going to see this explicitly stated in the Gemara, but what's the principle driving all of this? The principle that we've seen so many times throughout Shas, that ultimately, we go and we go up in Kiddusha, and we do not go down in Kiddusha. Therefore, again, you sell an item of Kiddusha, those funds, we'll say, by the way, what's, fast, what's fascinating about this Mishnah? What's fascinating? What can't we use the funds for? Not only going down, but what? A lateral kiddusha as well, which is really very fascinating. We're going to talk about this. That it's ma'alin ba'kodesh ve'in When it comes to kiddusha, you could go up levels, but you can't even go across. You can't go laterally, and you certainly can't go down. Quite fascinating. Says the Gemara, so say, let's analyze. So b'nei ha'ir, which I will say just tells you something in the realm of kiddusha, right? Ma'alin ba'kodesh is always like one of the most beautiful principles that we have in Yiddishkeit. That in kiddusha, in kiddusha, you have to go up. You always have to go up. It's ma'alin bakodesh. It's not enough to stagnate, right? That's why you can't go lateral and you certainly can't go down. The quest for Kedusha is a constant upward, it's a, it's a constant upward quest. Incredibly, we'll talk about this more. So it says, If the members of the city sell the street of the city, says the Gemara, so we'll say, here we go. There's a fundamental machlokas. So we'll say, this Mishnah presupposes that the street, the main thoroughfare of the city, has Kiddusha. The Yabar just points out, by the way, this is the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan. Sorry, Rabbi Menachem. But the Chachamim say the street has no Kiddusha. What's the machlokas? So we'll say, here we go. Rabbi Menachem, bar Rabbi Yossi, my time, listen to this. He says, So Rabbi Menachem will say, Rabbi Menachem will say, why does the street have Kiddusha? Oh, because on public fast days and Ma'amodos, so I will say, what a Chazar from Tainus. Ma'amodos, when the Israelim gather in their city as part of their shift, so to speak, in the Beis HaMikdash, they would daven, if there was a large group, they would daven in the street. So because you daven in the street by fast days, by Ma'amodos, therefore the street has Kiddusha. But Rabbanon, the Rabbanon will say, they'll say the Rabbanon will say that the street, the Rechov, doesn't have Kiddusha. What's their Svara? Hahu Akrai Ba'alma. Rabbanon say, what does that mean? Hahu Akrai Ba'alma? It's episodic. It's episodic. So because it's episodic, it only happens, you know, occasionally, 
Therefore, again, it doesn't endow the street with Kedusha. We'll say, what a machlokas. Do you hear what's happening over here? What's the machlokas? We'll say, the machlokas is as follows. The machlokas is, does episodic Kedusha create residual Kedusha? Does episodic holiness create sustained and ongoing holiness? Rabbi, Yosef, Rabbi Menachem said, so the Chachamim say, no. No, Kedusha is only created through consistency. Only something you do consistently creates a residual Kedusha. So a shul has Kedusha. Why does a shul have Kedusha? Why? Why? It's used every day. It's used every day. So what creates residual Kedusha is consistent, ongoing, daily holiness. Episodic Kedusha is nice, but it does not create residual holiness. Whereas, the, whereas, the, whereas Rabbi Menachem, Rabbi Yossi says, no, it's not true. Even episodic kiddusha creates residual kiddusha. Even halacha l'maisa, if you only use that street once in a while, by definition, once you use something b'derech kiddusha that endows it with a residual holiness as well. And Rabbi said, what is true for the street is the same machlokis ultimately by us, by as individuals as well. So Rabbi said, what happens to me often in life is I have episodic kiddusha. I have good days, I have good days, I have good moments. Right? I, I have moments of Aliyah, but a lot of other times I'm not holy. A lot of other times I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So how should I look at myself? So the Chachamim will say, well, I'm sorry. Episodic Kedusha is very nice. Nice that you're good on Mondays and Wednesdays and alternate Fridays. That's fantastic. But at the end of the day, that doesn't really create, that doesn't really create residual Kedusha. Chachamim would say. And Rabbi Yossi says, nothing further from the truth. Even episodic Kedusha creates residual Kedusha. Even if I don't, even if I'm not kadosh all of the time, if I'm kadosh some of the time, that means I am a kadosh individual. Who do we paskin like lahalacha? So again, we're going to see in Mirz Hashem. We really pass like Rabbi Yossi. We well, we might see that we pass like the Chachamim, but at least lahashkafa we pass like Rabbi Yossi. That I will say, even episodic kedusha endows the individual with residual kedusha. Incredible yisod. The Gemara goes right there. Basic nesses lokin tevas. Let's remember again: if you sell the shul, you could buy an aron kodesh. So says the Gemara. I'm Rabbi Shlomar Nachmani. I'm Rabbi Yonah's son. I will say now we're going to get into an interesting discussion about selling shuls. So says the Gemara. Loshon el basic nesses shel kfarim. That's only true with the shuls of villages. However. So the Gemara is Relki Rashi Lo Shana Di Cholim Limkar Beisak Neses El Shal Kfarim. What kind of shul can you sell? You can only sell send the sell the shul of a village. Ava Beisak Neses Shal Kerachim. Also, when it comes to shuls of cities, Kevan Deme Alma Asule. Since people come from faraway places to daven there, Lo Matzi Mizabni Le Da Havile Lerabim. Also, this is very interesting. Shuls that are in cities, larger communities don't simply belong to the members of that city, but they belong to the rabbin, they belong to the general public. Now, I'll say it's interesting to understand, since people come to daven there, therefore they're considered to be the property of the rabbin. Because they're the property of the rabbin, therefore, again, no one group has the right to sell the shul. Now, I'll say, now what does this mean? Look at Rashi. Aval shal krochen, havilu bate knesios to rabbin, vakol baalehen, vein bene ha'ir levadam bailim lohem. So we'll say, so what's the pshat in this? So I'll just tell you quickly outside, there's an interesting machlokis here between Tosus and Rashi, right? Tos, Rashi, as explained by the Marashah, really understands that what's happening over here is as follows. Since, again, often what happens with larger shuls, right, that are in cities, 
is even people from, not from the community, contribute towards its construction or its upkeep. Therefore, it's considered to be the property of everyone. Because it's considered to be the property of everyone, therefore what? Halakha no individual group can sell that shul. But according to this approach, it's very much predicated on the fact that everyone contributes towards it. Tosa says, this doesn't really have to do with who's contributing money. This has to do with the fact that shuls in the cities often attract, you know, travelers as well. And the members of that shul agree to make their shul the property of everyone who comes. So I will say, so because of that, ultimately it doesn't belong to any one group and therefore it can't be sold. So the Gemara says, David Rab, Amr Vashi, Hai Beknisha Damasa Mechasya. One second, is that true? Hai Beknisha Damasa Mechasya, the shul of Masa Mechasya. Afaga, Bosem, by the Tosis that I referenced is the top Tosis of Kevin Dama Alma Kaosule. Amr Vashi, Hai Beknisha Damasa Mechasya, the shul of Masa Mechasya. He says, Afaga, Dime Alma Asu, even though people come from all over. Kevan da adaita didika asu. Listen to this, Ravashi. Since when they come, they come for me. Ravashi was the rabba of the shul, right? They come to hear my shirim, they come to hear my drashas. So therefore, again, iba inam is Ravashi says, if I wanted to, I could, I could sell the shul. So he was saying is, since ultimately they come for me, therefore, by definition, it says, if it's a shul owned by an individual and therefore can be sold. Good. There was once the shul of the Torsium. I was like, who are the Torsium? Rashi says, the copper workers. Copper workers, copper workers shul in Yerushalayim. They sold the shul to Rabbi Eliezer. And Rabbi Eliezer, he repurposed it. He didn't use it as a shul, he used it as whatever. So the Gemara says, but that's an example of a shul in a city. And it also made a very interesting distinction. That when the Mishnah says you could sell a shul, what type of shul are we talking about? What type of shul? A village shul. Right? A shul in a small community where the shul is the property of the city people. So therefore, again, the city, right? The, the, the villagers could sell the shul. But a shul in a larger city is considered to be the property of the rabbin. And by the way, that rabbin maybe means what? People even outside of that particular city, and therefore it can't be sold. So how are they able to sell the Tarsim Shul in Yerushalayim to Rabbi Eliezer? To Rabbi Eliezer, Eliezer sorry. Because we'll say that was a small shul. That was a small shul. And the members of the shul ultimately, again, are the ones who created it. So in other words, we'll say, what the is introducing it to us is you can have what's called a small shul, right? A small and an individually held shul, even in a large city, if that is the way it is constructed, if that is the way it's created. So we'll say, the Pasuk says, So we'll say, so what the Gemara is highlighting over here is the Psalms. We essentially have three models. Village shul, which can be sold by the villagers. City shul, which is open to the rabbin and therefore, again, really considered to be the property of the rabbin. And the rabbin means even the people outside of that particular community. And again, this is based on the logic of Tosis. The Tosis says that when you build a shul in the city, you have in mind that this is like a Klal Yisrael shul, therefore belongs to Klal so therefore it can't be sold. And then a small shul, Tafka made by a particular group, for a particular group, even in a larger city, which can be sold. Which can be sold. So I'll say the pasuk over here is talking about saras. 
talking about tzaras. Tzaras habatim. When you come to Eretz Yisrael, the pasuk says, "And I will give you negat tzaras bebeis Eretz achuzaschem." I will I will visit tzaras. I will say the lashon of is very important. Bebeis in a home, Eretz in the land achuzaschem. That is your inheritance. So the Gemara said, "Listen to this." So the Gemara says, "Achuzaschem b'tayim benegoim." Only things that become your inheritance are stricken with tzaras. Ve'in Yerushalayim mitami benegoim. The boss is incredible. Yerushalayim never gets tzaras. Now, we'll see why that is in just a moment. Why is it? Rabbi Huda says, no, no, no. I only heard that the only place that's not afflicted by tzaras is the makom ha-mikdash. So, I, ha, ha, so, we'll say, so now, what's the pshat? Let's talk about this. Beitz eretz achuzaschem. Achuzer means something you own. What the Gemara is suggesting over here is that halacha lemaisa, Yerushalayim, we're going to see, was not owned by anyone. It was the property of all of Klal Yisrael. Comes on Rabbi Hud and he says, I only heard it's the Beis HaMikdash. The Beis HaMikdash can't get Saras. Why? Why? Because ultimately, again, it's not owned by anyone. It's owned by everyone. Achuzascha means only a place that could experience individual ownership is subject to the laws of Saras. So therefore, again, Beis HaMikdash, which is owned by everyone, is not subject to Saras. So I'll say, what do you see from here? It's only the Beis Hamidrash that doesn't get Saras. Ha, Bate Knesios, Bate Midrashos, Metamin. Yet Rabbi say, Shuls and Bate Medrash can be stricken with Saras. Which, what does that show you? What does that show you? That ultimately, again, Shuls and Bate Medrash can be individually owned. If they can be individually owned, then what? Then what? They can be sold. So the Gemara says, Amai, Hadikrachin Havu. What about the Shuls and Bate Medrash of cities? which we just got finished saying are publicly held and therefore also shouldn't be subject to saras. To which the Gemara says, Yehuda, so rather, you're right, reframe, what did Rabbi Yehuda say? Anilo shamati ala makom mekudash bilvar. Rabbi Yehuda didn't mean to say makom mikdash, he meant to say makom mekudash. Any sanctified place, bate medrash, right? So base medrash, shul, Beis HaMikdash, any of these types of places which are publicly held places, right, owned by the Rabbim, are not subject to the laws of Tsaras. To which the Gemara says, so I'll say, let's go back for a second. But my came for you. Now, I'll say, now it's very interesting because the first opinion said Yerushalayim is not subject to Tsaras. The second opinion seemed to say that it is. What's the Machlokas? Watch this. Tanakama Savar, Lon is Chalk Yushayim the Shvatim, Rabbi Huda Savar is Chalk Yushayim the Shvatim. The boss says the fundamental Machlokas was the city of Yerushalayim divided up amongst the tribes or not. So the boss says if you hold that Yerushalayim was split, it would be between Yehuda and Binyamin, then Halach Alamaisi Yerushalayim is subject to Tsaras because it's quote unquote tribally held. If on the other hand Yerushalayim is not Yerushalayim the capital city of Am Yisrael, it belongs to everyone. It belongs to everyone. So because it belongs to everyone and does not have any particular tribal affiliation, therefore, again, it's not subject to Tzara. So, we'll say, what was in the Chelek of Yehuda? Harabayis, the Temple Mount, Halishkos, the chambers of the Beis Amikdash, Vazaros, and the courtyards. What was in the Chelek of Yehuda? Because also remember again, the tribal areas of Yehuda and Binyamin were right next to each other. What was in Binyamin's Chelek? Ulam, the Ulam of the base bench, the antechamber, Heichal, the actual Mikdash itself, Ubeis Kodshia Kadoshim, and the actual Kodesh Kadoshim, Uretsua Haisa Yotzeis Michelko Shudavin Echnesses Michelko Shabinyamin, Uba Mizbeach Banoi. And Abba said there was one little strip of Yehuda's tribal territory that entered into Binyamin's tribal territory, and it was on that strip that the Mizbeach was built. 
Vahaya binyamin had sadik mitstair aleh bechayom lebola and lebola and ultimately again binyamin was upset because he wanted that strip right he wanted that strip upon which the upon which the mizbeach was situated shneemar chofif alav kalayom levichach zacha binyamin venasa ushpizichin l'shchina therefore binyamin merited and in binyamin's portion ultimately again the aron rest the kodesh hakadosh rest so we'll say what do you see according to this according to this you see that Yerushalayim was split up between two tribes. It was split between Yehuda and Binyamin. The high Tanasav, the other opinion holds, Lo Yerushalayim was not split up amongst the Shvatim. Rather, again, Yerushalayim is the property of all of Am Yisrael. This is incredible. If you lived in Yerushalayim, and now it's time for Ali the Reg, one of the pilgrimage festivals, and people are coming, and you have an extra room, what can't you do? You can't rent the room to another Jew. You're not allowed to charge another Jew rent for a room in Yerushalayim. Why not? Why not? Because although, quote-unquote, it's your house, you live there, Yerushalayim belongs to everyone. And therefore, you have no right to charge rent. Isn't that... I'm going to call up the Waldorf, right? And tell them this, right? And so say, isn't this absolutely incredible? You're right. You can't charge rent in Yerushalayim. Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Lazar, Omer, Aflomitos... Not only that, even if somebody, again, is renting a bed, right? Renting a bed, you can't charge for the bed. So the Gemara Lafichach. Now, the bed is an interesting one because in again, a bed is metaltolin, right? The bed is movable. But since the bed is resting on Karkarash, he says, since it's resting on ground and the ground belongs to everyone, you can't even charge for a bed. Lafichach, Oros Kachim, Ubali Ushpizin, Ubali Ushpizin, sorry, Oros Kachim, Bali Ushpizin, Notlinos Abizra. We'll say, what could you do? If somebody was staying by you, times of basement, if somebody was staying by you, you couldn't charge them rent for the room or rent for the bed. But what you could do is take the sacrificial hides that were theirs. Right? You could take the sacrificial hides, those hides that belong to the owner, from their kabanos, you could take that and even with force. In other words, that halakalamaisa, but you could seize property the ultimately again as payment for something. So you can't charge, but you could take the hides. Amra Baishmamina. But what you see from here is that it is proper etiquette that when you're staying at someone's house to leave your gulfa, Rashi says, is your earthenware canister and a hide from any animal that you slaughtered. You see from here that when someone's hosting you, it's, I guess they would call this is, it's good to bring a gift, right? It's good to bring a gift. Somebody's hosting you, they're doing you a chesed, bring them something. Or you can leave them your earthenware jug and your hide. And you can try that. I don't know that your host will appreciate that that much. But let me say you get the sentiment of Chazal. So again, what do you see from here? You see from here, interesting. First of all, I will say it's, it's a dramatic machlok is about Yushalayim. Is Yushalayim the property of Binyamin and Yehuda? Or is Yushalayim ultimately, again, the property of all of Am Yisrael? It's a machlokas. It's a machlokas, a fundamental machlokas. So I will say again, the only reason we're getting into this is because is because ultimately, again, of the statement that seemed to exclude shuls, but then it included shuls. So will say, where we are right now is right where we were right before. Shuls of villages could be sold. Shuls of cities, shuls of cities, again, the pastures can't be sold because they belong to the rabbin. With the exception of a shul, a small shul made by a specific group, even in a larger city, which can be sold. So we'll say we're going to qualify this a bit more. Amar Rava, Rava says, so let's listen to this. 
Sadabi Gemara says, by the way, when we speak about the idea, the Eid Morid Rashi, the Eid Morid and Dhamma Mikdushasan, Shavosai, now remember, what you begin to see from the Mishnah is as follows. When you sell a shul, the money, the proceeds from that sale, still retain the same Kiddusha of a shul. It's just the sanctity is transferred from the, from the building, ultimately again, onto the money. That is only true. That is only true when, when ultimately again, the shul was not sold by the seven elders of the city in the presence of the members of the city. However, if the seven elders of the city went ahead and sold it, sold the shul in the presence of the entire city, then ultimately again, what can you do with the building? You could even use the proceeds to buy a tavern. Right? To buy, to buy a bar, to buy a pub. Now, both said the idea is as follows. The idea, the Gemara says, is that if the sale of the shul takes place in the presence of the entire city, you could deconsecrate the shul. There is a way to see it. The Mishnah is talking about stama sale, stama sale, the proceeds, the money retains the same level of sanctity and therefore, again, can only be used to purchase something of higher Kedusha. But if the entire city essentially participates in the sale, you could deconsecrate the structure. And if you deconsecrate the structure, then the proceeds could be used for what? For what? For whatever you want. Says the Gemara Ravina, Havilehahutila, Tebekinishta. It's very interesting. So Ravina had, I will say, Tila Tebekinishta. He owned an old shul that had fallen into a dilapidated state. Right? Literally, Tila means a ruin. He came before Ravashi. Can I go ahead and essentially turn it into a field? Right? In other words, can I plow it? It's not being used as a shul. It's a ruin, right? It's a former shul. That's a ruin. Can I go ahead and plow it? Can I plant it? Yes, but go and officially purchase it. Go and officially purchase it from the seven elders of the city in the presence of the entire city and that effectively deconsecrates the shul. So I'll say, Rami Bar Abba, Havile Bani Beikinishta. So the Gemara says, Havio Kinishta Atika. So have a boil and mystery, or the asuye livne ukushure mine, the luye hasam. I will say, listen to this case. Rami Bar Abba wanted to build a new shul, but he also had an old shul. So what did he want to do? He wanted to knock down the old shul so he could use the building materials from the old shul in order to at least partially construct the new shul. So we'll see here what's happening over here. He wants to demolish an old shul in order to use the materials. To build the new shul. I will say now, watch this. Watch this. So the Gemara says, So he pondered the five of Chista. Listen to this. Summer of Chista. This is I listen to this. You are not permitted to demolish a shul, an old shul, until you build a new shul. Right? Right, we're covered, right? Right, you're not permitted to demolish an old shul until you build a new shul. Now, why is that? That was the concern, ultimately, again, of negligence. Because what are we afraid of? What's going, so what's going to happen? You're going to knock down the old shul, right? In an effort to start building the new shul. And then what happens? Something unheard of. You run out of money, right? Or something else happens. And then what's going to end up happening? Well, so what happens? You have nothing. You have nothing. So therefore, again, the halacha is, you can't knock down an old shul before you build something new. So, so therefore, again, what about in my case? What was his case? 
His case was, he wanted to knock down an old shul. He didn't yet have a new shul. But why does he want to knock down the old one? Why? Why? Because he wants the materials. You're supposed to say, in this case, he literally wants to use the materials of the old shul in order to build something new. That was his shaila. So what's the halach in this case? So Rapapa said, no, it's Asr. It's Asr. Because the halach is, you can't, you can't go and knock down an old shul until you have a new shul ready. He went before Rafuna. Rafuna also said it's Asr. So we'll say, so therefore, again, they pass him for him Asr. Even though, again, I understand why you want to do it, still the halacha, the concern about negligence applies, and therefore you can't knock down the old shul until you have a new shul. Amir Abba, Siddiqimara says, look at Rashi for just a moment. So we'll say this. So if you look at Rashi, Rashi says over here as follows: Chalufe vizabune, chala kedusha sa alachiluf o aladamim vuyotsa minakedusha lehishtanishvah. So we'll say if you go ahead, if you go ahead, haibekinishta. So we'll say if you go ahead and you sell it, right? If you sell it, so ultimately again, once you sell it, Rashi says over here, yotsa min kedusha lehishtanishvah. Ultimately, again, the kedusha is no longer on the building. Agrua umashkuna, but if you just rent it out, if you just rent it out, asr, you are limited as to what you could use the structure for. My taima, sakai. Ultimately, again, it's kedusha remains, which I both say is, is a very simple idea. When you sell a shul, when you sell the building, right? So what did the Mishnah teach us? The sanctity essentially leaves the building and is transferred to what? To the funds. To the funds. Unless, of course, you sell it in front of the seven elders, fine. But in a general case, when you sell the shul, the sanctity transfers to the money, and the structure itself, therefore, is deconsecrated. And therefore, you could do with it whatever you want. We'll, we'll see limitations on it. You can do it there. However, if you rent out a shul, let's say you rent a shul, right? I'm no longer using the building. I want to rent it. There are limitations as to what you can do with the structure. Why? Why? Because halacha lamais, again, in a rental state, the structure still retains its kedusha. So therefore, the Gemara goes right there. Livni, livni, nam, livni, nami chilufinhu vizabinu shari, ozvinhu aser. So I will say, livni Rashi says, levinim shal beis What about if you have bricks that are used for a shul? Right, so bricks themselves also, if you go ahead and you exchange them and you sell them, they lose their kedusha, you use them for whatever you want. Ozvinhu, but if you lend them out, ultimately they have their same kedusha. That's only about bricks that mamish were actually used for the construction of a shul. But I will say, if we're talking about new bricks, right? Let's say you're building a shul and you have a pile of bricks, right? You haven't used them yet. So the Gemara says that pile of bricks has no kedusha, and if you decide to go in and build something else with that pile of bricks, that's absolutely fine. And also, even according to the opinion, it says hasmana setting something aside for a particular purpose is significant. That's an example. I will say, for example, let's say you make tachrichin, you make shrouds for the dead. So anything you make for the dead is asr ba'ano. So I will say that's like a shroud. A shroud is ready to go, ready to be used. But this is like something that's woven, the leka And ultimately, again, I'm going to say this is actually very important. So if you go ahead and you have a pile of bricks 
that you went ahead and you set aside for, to, to build the shul, and you decide then to repurpose those bricks to build your house, that's totally fine. That's totally fine. Because the act of designation of bricks for a building project does not go ahead and endow it with Kiddusha. Why? Because a brick is an unfinished product. When does designation, when is designation purposeful? When it's designation of a finished product. So for example, if you make tachrichim, you make shrouds, burial shrouds for the dead, those are considered to be set aside for use for the dead and therefore cannot be repurposed. I don't know what you would repurpose a shroud as, but you know, a cover, you know, a cover, you know, you can't, you can't, it's a little eerie, right? But you can't, you can't, you can't repurpose it. That's the idea. You can't repurpose it. Why? Because it's ready to go, ready to be used. But something that is set aside, but not ready, but, but so to speak, not in its finished form, can be repurposed. So the Gemara says, Matana. What about a Matana? And I've also said, now, what's the case of Matana? What's the case? Rashi says, Nasluminei so I said, listen to this. Let's say a shul was given over to someone as a matana, right, as a gift. Can the building now be used for mundane purposes? So shari. One said it's motor, one said it's aser. Man da aser The one who says it's aser says, listen. Even though you're giving the shul as a matana, I will say the only way to use the shul for non-consecrated purposes is how? Is if you remove the kedusha. So you can remove the kedusha in a couple of ways. You can remove, really, well, only in one way. You could sell it, right? You could sell it. There has to be some type of mechanism for the removal of the kedusha. So if you sell it, the money could go ahead and transfer onto the funds and deconsecrate the building. But as a gift, how are you deconsecrating the building? The other opinion says, no, when you give a gift, I will say, when do you give a gift? It's actually very important. When do you usually give a gift to someone? When you have some hana'a from them, right? In other words, gifts are usually given in recognition of some benefit that I get from you. That benefit in halacha, the Gemara wants to suggest, has a significance as well. So when I give a gift of a shul to someone, why am I giving them the gift? Because they've, I get some hana'a. That hana'a is like funds. And therefore, it's de- the shul is deconsecrated based on the hana'a. To which the Gemara says... Therefore, ultimately, again, a sale, excuse me, a gift is like a sale. So I will say, so interesting, Machlokas, if you gift the shul, does that remove the Kiddusha? One opinion says no, because there's no consideration, right? There's nothing that's given to deconsecrate the shul. The other opinion says no. When you give a gift, a gift is given because I get Hana from you. That Hana in and of itself is the consideration. I will say one more line. Tan Rabbanon. I will say great sugya. Tashmishe mitzvah nizrakin. Tashmishe kiddusha nignaz. So we'll stop over here for today. We'll pick up with this sugya. This, this, by the way, is an incredible sugya. Halacha lemaisa. I will say that how you dispose of tashmishe mitzvah and tashmishe kiddusha to be continued tomorrow. Shkarech, I will say.